0: Janowitz's book, The Liz Taylor Ring, was picked as one of the must-reads for 2022 by everyone from Town & Country Magazine to Katie Corrup Media. It's a flirty, funny story, part romance, part family saga, about the impact of the ring over several generations.
1: Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show.
0: Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today on Binge Reading, Brenda talks about building a mystery across generations around a famous memento like the diamond ring that Richard Burton bought Liz Taylor. We've got Beach Reads as our free book giveaway. Links to the download or in the show notes for this episode on the website thejoysofbingereading.com or in our weekly newsletter. And don't forget, you can get exclusive bonus content, including hearing Brenda giving her answers to the Getting to Know You 5 Quickfire Questions by supporting us on Binge Reading on Patreon. I know I've gone about it, but for as little as a cup of coffee a month, you get 5 Quickfire Questions, a behind-the-scenes newsletter featuring upcoming books and authors, and a preview of the new monthly Encore series, Featuring authors who've been on the podcast before talking about their latest book, a shorter version of the normal weekly show. Chuck Greaves, talking about the new Jack McTaggart, the Chimera Club, is the encore author that goes on preview for Patreon supporters this week. Check it out on patreon.com, that is P A T R E O N.com, forward slash the joys of binge reading. But now, here's our show. Welcome to Binge Reading, Brenda. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Look, your latest book, The Liz Taylor Ring, it's got a wonderful title for starters, but it's your seventh novel, and it's received a great series of accolades. It's been welcomed by many um, publications that people would listen to, like Town and Countries. It, It was one of their best books for February. The Katie Couric people thought it was one of the best books of 2022. And Pop Sugar, most anticipated reads of 2022, so... Tell me, did that just give you a bit of a lift to start?
1: My goodness, yes. It was so incredibly exciting. You know, every you'd think you'd get used to it after a while. And certainly by book seven, think you'd be used to it and everything would be old hat. But it feels like with every book, you're starting fresh and you're starting over. So it's always just a miracle when anyone likes your book. It feels like you're sort of like, oh, okay, it's not terrible. We've got something here. That's great. And I know you've
0: had a lot of success in the past, but would you consider that this was almost a breakthrough book
1: for you? Is it that good? I mean, I do think I each book sort of is reaching a little higher. For yeah. me, I feel like the Grace Kelly dress was really a breakout for me because I was really on one path and the Grace Kelly dress sort of put me out there a little more. And so certainly with the follow-up being the Liz Taylor ring, that helped. So I feel like I'm slowly but surely inching upwards (laughs) with these books.
0: Yes, that's right. You have been having fun playing with this idea of Hollywood Icons And uh, as you mentioned, the one before this was called the Grace Kelly Dressed. We'll get onto that a little bit later. But you're building both a mystery and a family story about these very famous mementos that people can relate to and they've seen pictures of. They know what you're
1: talking about. Where did this idea come from? Oh, that's a great question. You know, when it came time to write my sixth novel, The Grace Kelly Dress, I was thinking about how I could sort of expand my audience. And, you know, as a writer, you always want to write about the things you're obsessed with because you stay with these books for so long. It takes a year or two to write them, then a year or two to edit them. And then if you're lucky, a year or two to promote them. So you really spend a long time with the subject matter. So my agent said, we should come up with something that you're obsessed with that other people are obsessed with too. (laughs) And she knew that I was obsessed with weddings and wedding gowns. And so sort of the idea for the Grace Kelly dress was born that I would write about an heirloom item. In that case, a wedding dress that was passed down through three generations. And when it came time to To write about a wedding dress, there's only one wedding dress that ever comes to mind for me, and that's Grace Kelly's gown, because in my opinion, it's the most iconic wedding dress of all time. Then when I wanted to do a follow-up, I really wanted to stick with the heirlooms and the Hollywood starlets, because I was just having too much fun with it, and... I decided I wanted to do jewelry because that's something that is really dear to my heart. And I think a lot of other people can relate to these pieces of jewelry that have been passed down and sort of what it means for us and how badly, you know, we all want them, (laughs) these things that have meaning to them. And then when you pick jewelry, there's no other Hollywood starlet besides Elizabeth Taylor because she was known for her legendary collection. So that book sort of came together based on yet another obsession of mine and The Hollywood Starlet to Match. And luckily, I happened to be obsessed with both Grace Kelly and Elizabeth Taylor. So (laughs) it worked out.
0: What had you been writing? What types of books had you been writing before those two? Well,
1: the two novels that I wrote before that were both family dramas as well. But I guess they were a little quieter. But I do tend to write about sort of the part of life that I'm in. So when I wrote my first novel, I was a single girl working as an attorney running around Manhattan. And so that first novel was sort of about that lifestyle, the single, crazy, like running around Manhattan lifestyle that I was living. But, you know, as my life has changed, my books have really changed. So now I'm an old married lady with two kids and the house and the mortgage and living in the suburbs. Uh, So different things are interesting to me and different things I'm sort of finding obsessions with. So I feel like as I've grown up, my books have sort of grown up as well, just because I want to be tackling the things that I'm sort of seeing in my day-to-day life.
0: Yes. And even though these famous mementos, these tokens are are kind of I suppose they're a little bit like you know, that phrase MacGuffin in mystery, where there's something <laughs> that we can focus on, but the story is really about the emotional relationships between the characters and that object or item,
1: aren't they? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's the starting off point, I would say, is the heirloom object, but it's really about people and sort of how we relate to each other and the meaning of family, the meaning of belonging, all of those things sort of wrapped up in this fun Hollywood starlet bow.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the Liz Taylor book, the, the dynamics of the family and that one are especially interesting. You've got The Liz and Richie characters, they really do have the same names as Elizabeth and Richard. (laughs) And you've got three uh, offspring of that couple. You've got the eldest daughter who's very responsible and kind of tries to corral everybody into into sensible Mm -hmm. lives. And you've got a gay artist, sort of creative son and brother and the youngest one who's rather irresponsible and gets herself into a lot of debt, etc. So they've, and they've all got very different, versions of their own family life you've got a great phrase that you use none of these stories are true all of these stories are true more than one thing can be true at once and you use that like a little refrain when the conflicting views clash in the story where did that little phrase come from is it something you've observed in your
1: own life? You know, I do think I tend to write about whatever lessons um, I'm needing to learn in my life. And, you know, this book was written during the pandemic, during during the early stages of the pandemic, really, the spring and summer of 2020. And, you know, like a lot of us, I was having trouble sort of like figuring out the world and my space in the world. And um, it was suggested to me that I needed to hold two thoughts in my head at once, And I remember getting that advice and thinking, no, no, (laughs) I can't do that. That's not possible because I'm really more of a black and white person. But I think what we've learned since March, 2020, we have to live in shades of gray and I've never really been good at that. (laughs) So I think that this book is a lot about exploring those shades of gray, certainly within a family, but with that The phrase you mentioned in particular, one of the things I was really getting at is just the nature of family story and family lore and how these stories are passed down and how they change over time. And not only time, they change depends on who's telling you the story, (laughs) right? (laughs) Everyone has a different version of it. And I'm sort of fascinated with that. So that was a big part of the book for me. Yeah, that's great.
0: The actual ring that we're talking about, it was a fabulous, famous ring, even before Richard bought it for Elizabeth. What was so special about
1: that particular ring? Oh, goodness, so many different things. You know, the funny thing is when I decided I was going to do a ring and I decided I was going to do Elizabeth Taylor, I didn't realize quite how many rings she had. (laughs) So first I said, okay, let's just narrow it down to a stone. And I said, okay, we'll do a diamond, because who doesn't love diamonds? But then I realized she had a lot of really big diamonds. (laughs) So I then had to narrow it down further. So I chose the Krupp Diamond as my inspiration for a million different reasons, because there's a million great Krupp Diamond stories, but the main thing that I really loved about this ring was that it was her favorite and she wore it every day. And there was something so fantastic about the idea that she loved this piece of jewelry so much she would wear it every day. You know, just like 33.19 carat casual, wear it to the supermarket. (laughs) An everyday ring. (laughs) I guess if you're Elizabeth Taylor, that's like your everyday ring. (laughs) So, I mean... Sorry. (laughs) No, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, there are so many other wonderful Krupp Diamond stories that sort of reflect just the way she approached life and her sense of humour. But I think once I realised that was the ring she wore every day, it felt like that was the special one. That was the one I just had to choose.
0: Yeah. Actually, mentioning her sort of way that she had, the humour, you open the book with a saying of hers it's not the having, it's the getting. And although it's not exactly humorous, I wondered about the context for that remark because it's very interesting that a woman who had so much actually, you know, valued the getting of it rather than the actual having of it.
1: I agree. I mean, that's... You know, needless to say, I, I went through a lot of different Elizabeth Taylor quotes. And, like I said, she was so smart and so funny. so there are so many great ones to choose from, quite frankly. But once I laid eyes on that quote in particular, it just felt so perfect for the book because the book is really about this idea. it's It's not necessarily the ring. It's the journey, it's the people, it's the family and yeah like you said i thought it was just so delicious that this woman who has so much and you know so many of her pieces were bought for her as presents i i mean it's all just so extravagant and wonderful this idea uh, the getting i i just thought it was so delicious and sexy and sort of like everything so yeah that quote's my absolute favorite i was really excited to use it in the book
0: yeah one of the things i enjoyed too was that in in your author notes at the back you've got 74 chapters in the book and in <laughs> the back you've got an elizabeth taylor factoid that relates to every chapter i mean i must admit Some of them I missed along the way because I wasn't that particularly well informed about Elizabeth Taylor. But I'm sure that people who share the obsession with Elizabeth Taylor, there's something new they're going to learn about her hidden away
1: in your story. I mean, I hope so. Part of the fun of researching this book, there was just so much to learn about Elizabeth Taylor. She, you know, in contrast to Grace Kelly, she lived a longer life and she lived a much more open life, because once Grace Kelly joined the royal family, the information about her life was somewhat limited, whereas Elizabeth Taylor always lived out loud and was proud of anything she was doing. Even if it was controversial, she just stuck to her guns. So much information about her, and of course, she did so many more movies than, say, Grace Kelly. So it was really fun doing the research, and I just found as I I was researching and watching the movies and reading books about her as I was writing it. And it would just feel like, okay, well, I want to have this scene at a wedding. And then I would read a chapter learning that Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton famously lived on a yacht for a number of years. And I just said to myself, okay, we got to have a yacht scene. Like we've got to have a yacht. People want the yacht. And so You know, I do think that Liz Taylor lovers enjoy the Easter eggs, but like you said, you can read the book not knowing anything about Elizabeth Taylor. And within the text itself, the characters do talk about Elizabeth Taylor and talk about her films. But this is funny. One particularly astute reader reminded me of a reference that I had intentionally put in there, but when I wrote that appendix, I had forgotten about. So it turns out there's even more references in there than I even mentioned because someone... (laughs) pointed one out to me, (laughs) and that was great. So in the end, did you feel that all your research
0: convinced you that Elizabeth and Richard did have one of the major love affairs of the 20th century?
1: You know, I do, but what surprised me in my research, I did not realize how in love Elizabeth Taylor was with her third husband, Mike Todd. That was a love affair for the ages. And I often wonder what would have happened if Mike Todd hadn't tragically died. Uh, her whole life's trajectory would have been different. She would have never married Eddie Fisher. So she never would have taken the Cleopatra film role. I mean, will you? I'm just guessing, of course. Yes. But yeah. So I, I find that interesting. Going into all of her husbands was fascinating for me. But I do think Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton had a love affair for the ages and had something so incredibly special and they just had almost like a cosmic connection because even when they weren't married anymore they kept coming back to each other and there are some reports that say on their deathbeds they spoke of the other person they just sort of never stopped loving each other so there's something really special about that relationship and there's also something so delicious about the fact that it was so incredibly passionate (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everyone should get to experience something like that in their lives. My goodness. (laughs) (laughs) That's gorgeous. Yes, one of those,
0: I I do want to just mention for readers who might be interested, that one of those factoids related to Princess Margaret. Do tell our readers about the Princess Margaret remark about the ring.
1: (laughs) I love the Princess Margaret story. And you can actually Google it and Elizabeth Taylor tells it uh, in in an interview and she does the voice, which is fantastic, but uh, I'm not going to terrorize you with my terrible British accent, but basically (laughs) very, very soon after acquiring the crop diamond, Elizabeth Taylor was wearing it at a dinner where she met princess Margaret. Uh, and princess Margaret looked at her and basically with like a face of disgust says, is that the ring? How vulgar, because it was humongous and Elizabeth Taylor just doesn't miss a beat and she says oh would you like to try it on and so I mean even a royal can't resist so Princess Margaret says you know okay and she puts it on and she's sort of like admiring herself and admiring her finger and Elizabeth Taylor says so not so vulgar now is it I love that, you know, I think it shows how sort of quick Elizabeth Taylor's, well, first generous, because it was rumored that she let anyone who wanted to try on the Krupp diamond, which is quite incredible if you think about it. Yeah. But it shows just how incredibly quick and smart she was to come up with something so clever that, you know, isn't disrespectful, but still kind of like funny and cheeky. And, you know, when people talk about Elizabeth Taylor, they often focus on her beauty, which, obviously cannot be denied. I mean, she was so incredibly stunning, but that's not even the most interesting part of her. (laughs) She was so smart, so generous, uh, this great sense of humor. There were so many wonderful things about Elizabeth Taylor, even though we mostly focus on how beautiful she was. Oh, and she was so talented also, watching her movies. I mean, I had watched them as a kid on Sundays in black and white, back in the day, but I rewatched uh, most of, most of my favorites when I was researching this book and I forgot how incredibly talented she is. I mean, I, I you know, obviously she's Elizabeth Taylor, but her performances are just, my goodness, they're so incredible.
0: The other thing I had not realized until I read your book was that her famous violet eyes were actually due to a genetic condition or a, a gene condition anyway. Tell us about that.
1: Right. Her eyelashes. It's her oh,
0: eyelashes. Eyelashes. Sorry. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah.
1: She had those gorgeous violet eyes. And I mean, they were really blue, but in certain lights, they glowed violet. But was what was really special was it looked like she was wearing like two coats of mascara and fake eyelashes. But no, she had a rare genetic disorder that made her more beautiful. That's the kind of (laughs) one I would like to have. So she had two rows of lashes and that's why they were so dark and thick and luscious. And it just, since she had such light eyes, those dark lashes just made them even more explosive. I find so interesting. Yeah, it is.
0: (laughs) And some people apparently had other ongoing health issues because of that condition people who share that but but she perhaps didn't so much it sounds like they were just a blessing they didn't have any
1: drawbacks (laughs) (laughs) you know she was plagued with other health conditions unfortunately in her life she when she was younger she fell off a horse during filming and she sort of famously had these back problems but she did live a lot of her life in pain unfortunately yeah Um, yeah 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 But all that hand exercise from lifting the crop must have helped (laughs) (laughs) her. We'll be back with
0: Brenda shortly. Chuck Greaves and his latest Jack McTaggart mystery, The Chimera Club, is our new encore show for this month, exclusively on Binge Reading on Patreon for two weeks before going on general release on the Binge Reading website you're enjoying the Binge Reading Podcast, but you're not in a position to commit to a regular subscription, then how about if you really enjoyed this episode, just buying me a cup of coffee at a new website we've got set up just for that purpose, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jenny Wheel and then an X, a big X like a kiss. Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y-W-H-E-E-L. Big Cross X. It's a way to make a one off contribution if you particularly enjoy the episode you've just listened to, and every little helps in defraying the costs of putting on the show. My time is all contributed for nothing, but I have to pay others to help with technical aspects, including hosting, sound editing, and conscription. A cup of coffee now, and that will help me stop feeling lonely. Now we're back with Brenda. Getting back to Grace Kelly, the dress, I was really so drawn into that story that I had to look up the Madame Michelle, the dressmaker that you have in your story, because you cri- you. You quote her in the beginning as if she's written a book. And I thought, "What? If this is this a real book? I actually went looking for it. And I came to the decision that it was entirely your imagination. But tell us about
1: <laughs> creating that. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I couldn't decide. I knew I wanted the designer to have this book that was sort of like part of the narrative, these quotes from the book. And I did a lot of research trying to find someone larger than life who would be like a Madame Michelle I couldn't really find the right thing. So I said, oh, right. I'm a fiction writer. I'll just make it up. But certain people are very disappointed when they find out that I made it up. I've had so many readers write to me and say, did you make this up? Can I buy this book? And I'm sort of like, no, sorry. But I was heavily, heavily inspired by Edith Head and a lot of the designers of the day. And that's sort of how I created that character. It was mostly through research. But of course, when you create a character, then she can say and do what you want her to do. So so yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Look, turning away from the specific books to your wider career. I imagine that now you get a lot of beginner writers asking your advice about how to have a career as an author. What advice do you give them?
1: You're correct. I do um, hear from lots of people. And it's always so hard to give advice because the industry is constantly changing. You know, when it comes to writing and editing your work, I think the best advice is that writing is rewriting. And that's something that took me a few books to learn. I think when you're first starting out, you feel like everything you write is sort of like, okay, let's print it. You feel like every word is gold and you think everything is quote unquote done. But When you are a few books in, what you learn is that the writing is really in the editing process and refining. And certainly with the Liz Taylor ring, I did two or three massive edits where I changed the book dramatically. I mean, at one point, certain characters had viewpoint characters and that was taken out. There was a storyline with the twins that I ended up reconsidering because I was changing those characters. So I'm not just talking about little edits. I'm talking about massive edits where I just am basically rewriting parts of the book. But what I've learned is that's what's making the book better. Because you're learning more about the character and you're learning more about everyone's motivation and you're learning more about how the characters actually relate to each other. Especially a book like Liz Tayloring, where you have so many different characters, there's a lot of relationships to explore. So I always say writing is rewriting, and that's sort of the best advice I can give. But usually I start out by saying if you can do anything else besides being a writer, you should do that. <laughs> <Because the> writer- <laughs> it's just so difficult. There's so much rejection. I think writers are people who have to write like they have no choice. And so if you're one of those people who you'd be writing a book regardless of it or published or not, that's how you know you're a writer. And then you should sort of move forward. But if you're one of those people, like everyone has a book in them, right? Everyone, we're human beings. We're natural storytellers. So everyone has at least one book in them. So, but just because you want to write a book doesn't necessarily mean that you should, just because there's so much heartbreak and so much rejection. And that part can be so hard. So if you're not sort of obsessed with the writing part, I can't imagine how you would sort of get through that. Because for me, no matter what happens, good or bad in my life, I sort of write my way through it. So what I'd be writing.
0: So how did you get started in fiction yourself? Is it something you always wanted to do or was it a cat there were catalysts somewhere there that made you think I just must sit down and get writing?
1: Yeah you know ever since I can remember I was a reader and I was a writer I was always obsessed with books always surrounded by books and when I was little my parents encouraged this would always take me to the library always to the bookstore and I just was obsessed with reading and I was obsessed with story. But, you know, I always like to joke... My parents were like, right, but get a job and move out and support yourself, please. (laughs) I went to college with the goal of later going to law school because I felt like, oh, I like to read and I like to write. Perfect career. But I very quickly discovered that legal writing is just not the same as the kind of writing I wanted to do. I was really yearning for fiction. So for my 30th birthday, my best friend organized a group gift And she said, no more talking about writing. Now you're actually going to do it. So they all sent me to a writing class because one of my excuses was writing classes are too expensive. And so she organized this big group gift and I went to the writing class and she said, from now on, Tuesdays are dedicated to writing. And I took that really seriously. I really carved out the time on Tuesdays. And that was sort of, you know, I, I just didn't stop after that. I think I actually started writing my first novel in that class, but I realized how good writing made me feel and how it was something to do. And the rest, as they say, is history. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's great. So when you started out, did you have any particular goal for yourself or was it just to finish the first book or uh, what kind of goals did you have when you started out? If any, you might've just been doing it for the straight pleasure of it.
1: Yeah, that is such a good question. That I love that question and I'll tell you why. I didn't, like you sort of intimated, I didn't think I could finish a book. So I started and I just, at first I was doing short stories and then I had this idea for the book and I was just sending chapters to friends just sort of like as a hoot, just to be funny and, oh yeah, check this out. I wrote these three chapters and then my friends were like, oh, write more, write more. And then eventually you find you've actually finished the book. And I think the goal was, can I finish a book? You know, Beginning, middle, end, can I have a full book? And so I met that goal, but then I forgot that I'm a type A person. So once I finished it, I was like, oh, I'll just get this published. Because at the (laughs) time I didn't know anything and I just figured, oh, I wanted to be a lawyer and I became a lawyer. So I wanna be a writer, I'll just go get this published. I mean, if I knew then what I know now, I think I would have been too terrified to even try. So maybe it's good that I didn't know anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It really sounds like an episode from Sex and the City. (laughs) (laughs) You and your girlfriends.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, My girlfriends were so supportive. I just did a book club the other night and they sort of mentioned something about that, about my worldview. And in large part, it is shaped by these female friendships that I have. And they're so important to me and they have been sort of my whole life. So. And are they still the same girls around you now? Yeah, mostly. In fact, <laughs> I just texted one of them to tell her that the next draft of my book, she should get herself ready, get her ducks in a row, because she's going to have to read it for me. <laughs> so, yeah. So I used to do chapter by chapter. Now I'm just like, here's 300 pages. <laughs> read it today, please. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
0: Look, turning to Brenda as a reader, because we do like to check in with your reading tastes as well and see if there's anything you're recommending to our listeners at the moment. I don't know if you've been an actual binge reader over the years that one of the sort of things that we hook this program on is the idea that now that there's TV streaming, people have got much more into their heads, the idea of binge reading in the same way that they binge watch. And I think there is some of that behavior that when they just finish one book at midnight, they go online and get the next one, you know, as an ebook. And they can start reading it immediately if they want to. So tell us, what do you like to read and what would you recommend?
1: Oh my goodness. I love reading everything and I'm a huge binge reader. Exactly what you've described. Although I love physical books. So I always just have a pile of like the next 10 that I'm going to read. And But yeah, like you said, I finish one, I sort of take a deep breath and then I just jump into the next one. So (laughs) The books I've read recently that I am absolutely obsessed with are Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. That was a Good Morning America pick. It's really smart and funny and clever. And these are just like the books I've binged in the last week. And then I read Jen Weiner's The Summer Place, which is actually, it's not a series per se, but the last few years she's written about Cape Cod. So this is the third one. And, you know, her books are just, you fall in love with the characters, you want to be friends with the characters. So that was really delicious and sort of perfect for summer, especially if you are a Cape Cod lover, if you've ever been or you ever wanted to go there. And now I am reading Jennifer Close, Marrying the Ketchups. And from the title, you might guess what it's about. It's about a family-run restaurant. And I'm falling in love with that one as well. So I've been binging quite a lot lately. (laughs) And when I finish marrying the ketchups, I have a pile and I'll just grab one from there. (laughs) Whatever I'm in the mood for next. I guess you get quite a
0: few that... People ask you to endorse now that you've got to the status you have as well.
1: Yes, I do, which is so exciting. And then friends um, send me copies of their books. Sarah McCoy just sent me a copy of Miss Mustique Island, and I'm really excited for that because that feels summery too—something in the Caribbean that sounds sexy and fun. So that's on that's on my pile for what I'm going to be reading next. <laughs> Lovely,
0: that's great. So that segues nicely into asking you what's next for Brenda as writer it sounds like you've got a manuscript that's almost completed what does your
1: desk look like over the next 12 months oh my goodness right so I'm finishing up my next novel which is coming out in April 2023 it's called the Audrey Hepburn Estate and in this one the heirloom item has gotten a little bigger The heirloom item is a house. So it's heavily influenced by the Audrey Hepburn film, Sabrina, which I love. So as you might guess, there is a love triangle, but it's really the story about a woman who goes back to the house she grew up in because she wants to see it one more time before it's set to be demolished. So a little of everything, you know, a little family drama, friend drama, the the love triangle, and infused with a little bit about Audrey Hepburn's life. Sounds irresistible. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. You know, at this point in the editing process, you're always like second guessing everything. You're sort of like, should I just throw this entire thing in the garbage and start over? Do we have time for that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny to, to hear you say that because I mean, honestly, people look at you and see this fantastically successful, best-selling author, but it's funny how... Even the best of us have those sorts of doubts, don't we?
1: Oh, goodness, yes. It's so funny you mention that because I announced the publication date for the Audrey Hepburn Estate on social media, and one of my girlfriends wrote, wow, you're just really killing it. And I thought to myself, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like hanging on by a thread, but I'm glad you think that's wonderful. (laughs) I mean, you know. (laughs) We writers are overly sensitive creatures who are always plagued by doubt. But yeah, after Audrey, I have a few, you know, ideas of what I'll do. After that, it's really a matter of figuring out what works, what could be sort of like a full thing and what is right for my career.
0: Yes, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure you enjoy interacting with your readers. How have you been doing that over the last few years with the COVID thing? And are you getting back on the road now? How are you interacting with readers? And obviously, particularly online, because a lot of them won't be able to see you in person anywhere.
1: Right, absolutely. You know that has been an interesting sort of byproduct of COVID because. I have been a lot more online. So a lot of people reach out through Instagram in particular because that's where I spend most of my time on social media. And for some reason, I can never find my Facebook messages. (laughs) (laughs) Instagram's always a good place to find me. But then some readers will go to my website and they'll just email me, which is great. And I love interacting that way. A lot of times the people who reach out via email have sort of like longer questions or they have they want more of a response than on Instagram where we just sort of like exchange a sentence at a time. Yeah, yeah. But that's been wonderful. I've been doing plenty of Zoom events and I've also been doing Zoom book clubs Since I'm home a lot more, I found a way to sort of zoom into people's book clubs for a half hour at a time, which has been wonderful. I've met all of these incredible women this way, and it's really a joy. I'm actually doing an online thing for my sorority (laughs) tomorrow night. So the Zoom and the online, it's really opened up so many doors. But as you said, I'm definitely getting back on the road. So I do have a few more things planned for the summer. Uh, So I have an in-person event on Long Island in June with Jane Green to talk about her book, Sister Stardust, which was fantastic. And then I have some things that we're working on for July, which are not in pen yet, I don't think. So I shouldn't say, but, and then I think I have, oh, right. And then I have two library events in August. So lots of in-person stuff. I'm excited, a little nervous. (laughs) Hopefully I make it to (laughs) everything. That's wonderful. And if book clubs want to find you, is it best to go through your website? Yeah, my website's usually a good way that book clubs find me because my email address is there and it's just easier to coordinate. I'm coordinating, I'm doing one book club and we're talking over Instagram and it's just like harder to keep track. So I would say any way you can find me is great. If I don't respond, it means I just didn't get your message. So you can, you know, reach out again, but I almost always get my emails. And I almost always get my Instagram messages unless they get hidden. But I find almost all my Facebook messages are hidden somewhere that I cannot find them. (laughs) So so usually Instagram, email, my website. My website actually has a form you can fill out. That's pretty easy. And I do love talking to book clubs, so.
0: Thank you so much, Brenda. You've been a wonderfully entertaining guest to have today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Next week on
0: Binge Reading, Lee Goldberg and Movie Land From best-selling New York Times author and TV producer Lee Goldberg, the latest Eve Ronan murder mystery. Malibu Creek State Park is a beautiful locale for campers, tourists, hikers and Hollywood. You've probably recognised it from scenes you've seen in numerous movies and TV shows. For Detective Eve Ronan, though, it's a backdrop for murder and a riveting new thriller that's binge reading with Lee Goldberg next week. That's it for today. Happy reading and see you next time.